Good morning, church. Would you stand with me this morning? God, you are faithful, and we just welcome your presence into this place this morning, God. We just call your presence, and we call on the name of the Lord, God, just to depend on God, no matter what we are facing this morning. We declare that you are good, that you are faithful and true, God, and that we will wait on you that we depend on you to fight any of our battles, God. We give you this time, this space, God, and we love you, God. Amen. 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 He is faithful and true. We're going to praise him this morning.
through the generations. You know, I had a picture in my head in that first song about um, when it's talking about the battle belongs to the Lord. And we talk about how our posture is with our hands lifted high. Um, And I love that. I love that God wants us to not cower. and take the offense and that it's about praise. And that reminds me of that picture um, in the Old Testament of those who came alongside and helped lift hands in battle. It was a a lot. It was a lot to stand and praise. But that's how they won the battle, with those hands lifted high. And and so I'm just reminded of, of that. And how does that look? How does that look in my life? How does that look in your life? For us to face what we're facing with hands lifted high, with praise, even when it doesn't feel like it, (laughs) probably especially when it doesn't feel like it, for us, um, for us to praise, to know that, God, the battle does belong to you, that I don't need to to try to take it on because I try to do that a lot. And... um, And so I want to encourage us to trust in his faithfulness, to praise our way through the storms, through the battles, and in the victory, um, just to praise, to praise no matter what. And so um, as we go into our last worship song this morning, um, we also have our time of giving, of praising God. Um, whether we're in a battle um, or whether we're on a mountaintop, wherever we're at, of praising Him and of thanking Him for what um, what He's done and for putting our faith in maybe what we don't see or feel yet. And so um, I just encourage you, whether you want to come forward with the buckets, whether it's online, whether it's in the back with the, the green box, um, however you give. Um, this is just one of many opportunities for us to be obedient to the Lord, um, to build his house, not just this house, um, our community, um, our state, our world, wherever things go. Um, so I'm just going to pray over this time. Jesus, I thank you, God. I thank you that you are Jehovah Jireh. You are our provider That doesn't always look the same for everyone. It doesn't mean money. It doesn't mean a thing necessarily. It can mean you just, you working however you're going to work. So God, no matter how we're coming this morning, um, I pray that our tithes, that our offerings, that they would be pleasing to you, God. I thank you, God, 
for everyone in this house, for what you're doing in their lives, God. I pray that you would meet them exactly where they are, Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you meet them where they are? And God, as we continue this time worshiping you, would you just speak to them wherever they're at? Would this be just a response to you of our thankfulness for you and our trust in you, Jesus? We love you, God. Amen. Don't you get shy on me, lift up your song. 
do y'all know why we talk about lifting our hands and worship so much? Any of you on the front row? What's the point of lifting your hands? It's a symbol. What do you think? Praise the Holy Spirit. What if, uh, what, if a, what if a robber comes up to you on the street and says he's got a gun and he, and he tells you that he's going to rob you? What do you think he, he might ask you to do? Or what might you do? Put your hands up. Why? Surrender. It's giving up. Okay? It's, it's giving up. So why do we want to give up in worship? What are we giving up? ourselves our way but that's kind of hard to do because a lot of times we get somewhat arrogant and prideful and we think that our we have it figured out but we don't and if you wonder if you do or not then you can just kind of check your heart's emotions what's going on when you're not surrendering a lot of times we're anxious we're angry, frustrated, scared, really tired because we're not leaning on his ways. Uh, along the lines of arrogance, my kids have been fascinated recently with roly polies. Sadly, not sexually interesting. Roly-polies, they have like so many names. They're called pill bugs, they're called sow bugs, they're called wood lice. In Britain, they call them, my favorite, chiggy pigs. I I don't call them roly-polies anymore, I call them chiggy pigs because that's a much more fun name. And they have about a dozen other names. But, you know, probably none of y'all thought about chiggy pigs this morning. They're pretty important. They actually perform a very important action of breaking down dead plant material returning nutrients to the soil and probably none of y'all really thought this morning about the fact that for these guys to play on stage there's a little annoying click in their ears that goes and it keeps them on time but there's lots of things in life that we don't think about that are holding the world together We are not holding the world together. The world is created and designed by a beautiful and intricate creator who has a plan for it all. And I think we won't really ever figure out putting our hands up in worship until we just daily recalibrate our minds and say, you know what, I don't don't like the way things are in my life, but I'm going to put my hands up and I'm going to surrender my own feelings of justice and what should be and what shouldn't be and how this should be controlled and how that should be controlled and I'm going to resign myself to surrender and I think as I get older and older like surrender is pretty much just the key to almost everything in the spiritual life you watch Jesus wrestle with it in the garden like well could he surrender to the father's will and he could but he wrestled with it some because of what he was asked to to give up. So would you just bow your heads with me this morning? And maybe I'd just give you a few seconds and ask, Holy Spirit, would would you examine our hearts right now? 
Would you show us if we've been prideful today or prideful this week? Have we had an arrogance to control too many things? Would you point that out to us? If you if you had or I had any check on that, let's just confess it. Confess it to him in prayer. And God, I thank you that when we confess to you, you're faithful to forgive. You're faithful to continue to guide, just like just like a child who makes a mistake gets corrected and guided and redirected by their parent. Thank you that you do that with us. We thank you that you're a good father that you don't use our mistakes to browbeat us, that you use our mistakes to guide us back to the truth, to the path that brings life to you. So thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your direction. We pray that as a group, as a small church body here, a small little segment of the global church, that you would guide us to truth. Guide us to more surrender. Help us to surrender our way for each other in this room, that we would be able to lift each other up because we are letting go of our own selves. And that as we let go of our own selves inside these walls, that it would allow us to reach those outside of these walls in our city, in our state. For your glory, not for ours. For your glory, not for victory life. For your son, for Jesus, for everything that he did on the cross. Help us to be a light for him. A banner, so to speak, as the scripture says, a banner of love. A light in the darkness. A city on a hill where people would travel and look for some sort of retreat from the elements we love you Holy Spirit would you empower Pastor Steve today as he teaches us would you give him the direction that we know he surrenders to and would you give him the words that you want us to hear open our ears to the scriptures open our ears to teachings help us to be better doers of the word then we are hearers. Would you be with Miss Margaret as she's teaching the littles? Would you be with Adriana as she is taking care of those in nursery? Would you be with Juliet as she's teaching bigs? Holy Spirit, would you breathe life in every corner, in every age group? And as you breathe, cause us to come to life but not life maybe like we dreamed about it with picket fences and two children and a half a dog or whatever the American dream is, but that we find life as it's found in you, that we become people of love. We love you. Amen. All right, Pam. Pamela Joy. Good morning. 
Y'all can be seated. Have just a few announcements for you. Um, next Sunday is going to be start here. If you have not taken this class, it's a class that helps you connect to our church. If you have questions, you can ask them. Um, it's a discussion time. It's only about an hour and a half, but we will feed you. So we'll feed you lunch because it's after church on Sunday. So if you want to come, just sign up. And everybody, um, I believe, that's in here gets a newsletter. So uh, there's links in the newsletter. There's also our flow page link is in the signature part of your newsletter. So I keep that up pretty pretty regularly. So check your flow, flow page. There's a place to register there. Um, anyway, register so that we'll be able to know how many we need to feed. Um, July 30th is going to be a big day for our church. It is our fifth Sunday. It'll be family Sunday. It'll also be our family dinner time. We have church. Uh, we have picnic outside. At, we're, I try to have it outside if it's not raining. But um, we're going to have fried chicken. And there's also a link in your flow page and in the newsletter to sign up for something to bring. Um, any kind of side. We're also going to have a special time in our service uh, for baby dedication. And we haven't had this many babies, I don't think, ever at one time. And so we're going to have four babies whose parents have chosen to want to dedicate. Now, we don't do baby, we don't do infant baptism. It's not a baptism time. It's just a time when parents can dedicate themselves to raising their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and uh, a time as a church where we can partner with them to help with that process. So, one of the ways that we bless new families in our church who've had babies is with a diaper shower. So, I'm giving you plenty of warning. We've One of these families we've already done that for. So, we have three babies that we need to bless with diapers and wipes. So, from now until July 30th, if you would like to bring diapers every week with you, we will just stockpile them, um, and we will divide those up and give them to our new families that Sunday. Um, Jubilee also is coming up. The very first day of Jubilee is July 31st, and the remaining week, the first week of August, um, if you want to come, it's free. Um, you'll need a place to stay if you're going to spend the night, but it's going to be in Durant. It's an awesome, awesome time that all of our campuses can get together. It's our annual church conference, if you want to call it that. But it is a time where we thank God for what he's done, look forward to the future, listen to see what he says to us. Um, so anyway, check your newsletter. You get a newsletter every week, so... Check all the details in that and on the flow page. Um, five minutes, we're going to take a break, and then we're going to come back, and Pastor Steve's going to give us a word. Break. <laughs> Amen. It's... Rick, there's always time for a testimony about what the Lord has done for us. Um, that's part of why we're here. 
first of all, I want to say Kim Taehyung Anyong Haseo. Glad you're watching. She's, it's midnight and she's watching our service in Korea. Um, our daughter-in-law. So we got a lot of people out today because of uh, July 4th weekend and things. People at the lake. And, but we've also got a bunch of people tuning in online. So hi to y'all who are watching us from other places. Um, this is July 4th weekend, our Independence Day, and it's, we have a lot of patriotic days. We had Memorial Day when we remember people who have lost their lives in protecting our freedom in our country, and, uh, and our Veterans Day, and Flag Day, and today's Independence Day when we recognize and celebrate our freedom from British rule, which had become cruel and oppressive. Uh, I've been uh, reading Ron Chernow's biography of Alexander Hamilton, and it's the, uh, it's the biography that inspired Lin-Manuel Miranda to do the Broadway play Hamilton. And uh, so it, as, as you read it, you recognize some of the things that he he picked out to tell that story. But it's a story of more than just the man Hamilton. Uh, it's also a, a lot of information about all the different people, um, uh, George Washington and John Adams and uh, all the people that had something to do with the struggle to make us a nation uh, that could preserve the freedom that was so hard won. Um, and what they had to do was navigate the struggle to maintain the rights of the states, and we're still struggling with that 250 years later, maintain the rights of states to rule the way they, uh, they believe that their constituents and the people of that region, uh, that they have the liberty and the freedom to live the way they want to, but also create a unified group of those same states to preserve and protect from outsiders who would come and take away our liberty. And that's that, that same theme. I mean, I mean, think about it through these last 250 years, what that's meant. From the Civil War, World War I, World War II, the Cold War, that that's been a struggle that whole time to protect us from those who would take away our liberty. All that was influences from the outside. Um, so in the grand scheme of things, and so I'm thinking about the last several messages. Last week we looked at Nicodemus and the woman at the well and those two kind of character studies and, and what they have to teach us. Um, particularly the woman at the well, because for Nicodemus, it, it wasn't a change that happened with them. I believe that there was a gradual th change in Nicodemus where, because he was the one that Jesus said, you have to be born again. And he said, how, how can that happen? So there's this long progressive change in the life of Nicodemus over three years 
And, but the change in the woman at the well was immediate, an immediate change. Uh, she goes and tells the town, townspeople that Jesus told her everything she ever did. How would you like for everything that you ever did to be told to you? Most of us have things that we wouldn't like to have told. She told the townspeople that Jesus told her everything she ever did. And it, that made them come and see what she was talking about. And I think it's very important to, to recognize the point that the news could have been a condemnation to her. Because he told, she, she wants to have this religious, a typical religious kind of conversation with Jesus. And Jesus turns the whole thing when he says, go get your husband. And that, uh, that opens up a whole can of worms for her. It, it uncovers her life in a way. Uh, but remember what Jesus had said to her. If you knew who you were talking to, you'd ask me about the living water. She said, man, I want some of that. It could have been condemnation to her life. But it wasn't. It was actually the very thing that Jesus had promised her, living water, because she received it. And like Brent said, she surrendered. <laughs> I, it, it was the Holy Spirit, everything that happened. But we didn't get to the very end of the story, which is a couple of passages later in the fourth chapter of the book of John. Uh, uh, out about, because a couple of other things happen, but out there about thir verse 39, it says, and many of this, a whole other passage, and many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me everything that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Remember where they are. They're in Samaria, a place where you, you just didn't go through there if you're a really good Jew. But if you, if you had to go through, you went fast because that's the reason you went through Samaria was to take the shortest, quickest route to get to Galilee, which was a region up in the north around the Sea of Galilee. He stayed there two days and many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, okay, now we believe, not just because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. So Jesus spent two days doing what his mission was, the, the reason that he was in the flesh, in the world. The reason that he left heaven to be, to walk the same road that we walk. Um, a, a little bit of Bible study here. We know that Matthew, Mark, and Luke are 
pretty much a chronological, chronologically ordered story of the gospel. John is different. His, some of the things that happen you can place in chronological order in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But John isn't in order in all those things. So, this is how I believe it fits in the, the chronological story. That in the beginning, the first third of Jesus' ministry, he had gone down to Jerusalem and was doing some things down there. He found some of his disciples down there, and, but he is on his way back to Galilee because of some conflict that's going on in Jerusalem. So he's going back north to Galilee where he grew up. And on the way, I believe it's on, in the, on that trip that he meets the woman of Samaria. And then right after that, he goes to Nazareth. And that's where he preaches or, or teaches in the, the synagogue where he grew up. The, the church, basically, where he grew up. And he reads from a passage there. He's come back and they say, hey, why don't, why don't, we've heard that you're a really good teacher. Why don't you read the word to us today? And so he takes a scroll and reads from Isaiah chapter 61. The first, the, verse 1 and the first half of verse 2. And the reason why he doesn't read the rest of it is because it's, a, it's for a future time. But... As I've taught before, prophetic words have a near fulfillment and a far fulfillment almost all the time. And so the near fulfillment, we'll see in just a moment. Isaiah chapter 61, it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Now, this is where Jesus grew up. Everybody knew Jesus when he was in high school. And some of the people may have thought he drove too fast down Main Street and that they saw him doing something or another. And their stories went around. Uh, in fact, stories of his birth and, you know, some of the shady stuff. So it's those same people. And he's reading this to them. And he says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Now, other people read stuff, but. I can read these, and you know that I'm not saying the Spirit of that, that all these things apply to me. But Jesus reads these. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. And the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then it says, and he closed the book, was really a scroll. He lets the scroll come together and they take the two sides of the scroll and he passes it off. And he says, this scripture is fulfilled before you this day. I think he's just come from the woman at the well and the people in Samaria and he has proclaimed liberty to the captives. Now, we mentioned last week a little short bit, but in Samaria, they've been practicing a religion 
that was known in the Old Testament as the sin of Jeroboam. That Jeroboam made up this almost Jewish kind of religion and he had them sacrifice on an altar in the north for the northern tribes because he was afraid if they went home they would get homesick and they wouldn't come back and he wouldn't have a kingdom. He wouldn't have a people anymore to rule. And so he made up this religion and they've been practicing that religion off and on but they went off into captivity and uh, to Babylon and all that. Went away into captivity and they've come back and they've tried to follow the religion of, that was taught to Jacob, Israel. The, the religion of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they're trying to follow that as best they know how. But they don't ever connect to Jerusalem. I don't know if they have the scriptures. They have some of it. Because the woman talks about it. But that's the picture that you have. And then Jesus goes up and reads Isaiah to, to his, the townspeople in Nazareth. Good Jewish people. Because of the argument that they have after that, I believe that they've heard what's happened in Samaria. And they're a little bit, their feelings are a little bit hurt. Because they've heard about these people being delivered. Basically the gospel was preached to those people. Before it was preached to a lot of the rest of Israel. And they're not happy about it. Because Jesus' argument is. He says when. They're upset because the freedom that came to those people in Samaria. Didn't come to them. At least not yet. Who were real Jews. And Jesus responds to them. When the Sidonian widow. That fed Elijah. During when there was no rain in Israel. He said she was blessed. Even though there were widows all over Israel. But she was from Sidon. There were widows all in Israel and they didn't get blessed. So so a non-Israeli person got blessed. And in Elisha's day, when Naaman the leper comes to be healed, this is Jesus telling this story to them. He said, Naaman the leper came from Syria to be healed by Elisha. And there were plenty of lepers in Israel to get healed. But that's not who it came to. And part of the reason is surrender. It's surrender. They got, the widow got free, set free from hunger and lack because she surrendered. She got freedom that came from surrender. Naaman the leper wasn't happy about it. And if you go and read that story, he didn't like the way it came a little bit. But he he had a good friend that said to him, he said, Master, if he told you to do something hard, you'd do that. So why don't you just go, go in and go wash off in the muddy water. And so he does and he gets set free. 
They became offended, though. Jesus' former hometown mates became offended. And it says in that scripture in John chapter 4, or John chapter 8, here in Luke 4, he quotes from 8. In Luke chapter 4, it says that their faithlessness prevented Jesus from doing mighty works there. That's in Luke chapter 4. What kind of mighty works are being prevented? Because our lack of surrender. Jesus said in John chapter 8. This is John chapter 8. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, he said, you're truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. If you follow the teachings, you, then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. I mentioned seeing the eagle in the zoo that was kept in the very small cage last week and the birds that lived in the bars of the jail by choice and I was um, and that was an example of how many people choose to live ignoring the freedom that's right there with them and I'm reminded of Isaiah chapter 40 verse 31 and I mentioned that refrigerator magnets that have verses on them this is another one of those Um, Isaiah chapter 40 verse 31 most of you will recognize it He says, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength and they shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That's if we wait on the Lord. That's if we follow the teachings. That's if our strength gets renewed and we can fly like an eagle. And some of you may not feel much like you're flying like an eagle sometimes. But that scripture also promises that we'll run and not grow weary. I don't run a whole lot. And, when I, and because when I run, I get weary. Um, so for me, I like the last part of that verse that says, I shall walk and not faint. Who are we going to be? Will we be like the Samaritans who were blessed because they were willing to give up their old ways? Ways that they had kept for 800 years. They had kept it in the early days. They had kept it when they were away in captivity. And when they came back to their homeland, they, they kept those 800 years of Tradition. Will we be like the people of Jesus' hometown that were offended when Jesus offered them the very same freedom that he had offered the Samaritans? That he had offered the woman at the well who refused to be offended. And y'all, 
it would have been really easy for her to be offended. Jesus flat called her out. He said, bring your husband. She said, well, sadly, I don't have a husband. And normally under circumstances, does everybody know what you're supposed to do with that? You go, I'm really sorry. That's what Jesus was supposed to do, right? That's what anybody should know to do. Oh, I'm really sorry. He said, yeah, I know that you don't have... In fact, you've had a bunch of husbands and the one that you're with right now isn't even your husband. That would be pretty easy to be offended at that, right? But she refused. And consequently, she received the very water that he had promised, the living water that's like a well springing forth that won't run dry. And I'm telling you, that woman, because of her testimony, all these Samaritans came to faith. And when, when, uh, when Andrew becomes the Billy Graham for Samaria at the time, thousands of people got saved because of that seed that had been planted. And because, of, I believe, of that woman's missionary activities that were going on. She refused to be offended by the truth. How is that script being played out today? All the different players that, that we could lay on this, overlay this story upon. How is it being played out today? We're supposed to be the Jesus in the story. We're supposed to be the people, people that bring truth. I have been, I've had the experience of in love letting people, I mean, I was asked to marry a couple one time and they said, so-and-so told us to call you because you'd marry anybody. I said, yeah, y'all know that wasn't a compliment, right? Because they had been living together for six years. And my only opportunity to minister to them was to love them in the middle of what they were doing. Because they had been asked, what they had been done was a, a, a bunch of rules had been laid out. And the guy that was supposed to marry him said, if y'all break up for six months and go through all this counseling, then, then I'll marry you. Well, they had two children, and one of them was five years old. It was nice that he was willing to do counseling, but a, that, their children would have had to have been in counseling if they split up. So we were able to minister to them through that. And, but I said to them, they said, I don't understand why he wouldn't marry us. I said, well, because when you're living together and not married, that's sin. And they, their feathers got, as you might imagine, got a little bit ruffled at the time. But I did it in love. And then I, I walked them through it. I said, but you know how you fix that? You get married. So I am happy to do that for you. 
I'm happy to help you by helping you get married. There's a remedy for almost everything. It's when you know to do the right thing, do the right thing. And it was for me to not stand in the way. I believe that was the Jesus way of doing it. People being offended when their own sin is called out. The same sin that had them in bondage. And then when freedom is offered, it's rejected. That couple could have done that. They could have reject, been rejected the freedom that I offered them. But they didn't. I believe that as a nation... We may be in a struggle to maintain our freedom that's as real as the struggle was 250 years ago. After the, after the revolution, there was so much struggle to maintain the liberty and the freedom. And one of the things they argued when our nation was new was over slavery which was their version of, we want what we want and when we want it. And it didn't affect just the South. It affected all of the colonies from Maine all the way down to Georgia. And the problem was that it was such an inconsistent message when they'd just been talking about freedom and being released from bondage to the crown of England, but they wanted to keep others in bondage. It was, it was the conflict in that message. And many of the framers of our nation, the, the people who were the foundation for what we have become, in these 250 years, many of them said, God will never bless a nation with freedom who keeps others in bondage. That message was repeated over and over by those who were opposed to slavery. And I only, I only bring it up because Paul talks about us being in slavery. Us being in bondage to the sin that we're in. And so how do you... How do you deal with those conflicts in message? Well, you don't do it by a bunch of rules. Paul made that very clear. When he talks about the law, he's not just talking about Old Testament law. He's talking about the same kind of laws that we make for ourselves. Like you, you, you have to wear... They, if you're a woman, you have to wear dresses and you can't wear makeup. And men have to cut their hair a certain way. And you have to wear a tie. All the different kinds... of of rules that we made and no drinking, no dancing, all those kind of things. These, these sets of rules that people made, a kind of a law that says if you're going to be blessed and if you're going to be a part of this church and, and part of the family of God, then you have to do all these things. Paul said that's not what saves us and it's not what keeps us free. It's surrender. He said our freedom can only come in Jesus. That's why he said, if you add anything else to it, and he called that, if you, if you make that another gospel, you're messing up. 
There are people who are around us who are in bondage, and they don't even comprehend it. They confuse freedom, and, and they call it freedom, when it's just their desire to be oppositional and defiant. Okay, let's, a little psychology right here. There's something called oppositional defiant disorder. And I learned about this at the School of Hard Knocks when I was, when I was working with the school system as a consultant. And I had a bunch of young people who were oppositional defiant. And to, uh, the explanation for that is that they, uh, oppositional means they wanted to do just the opposite of whatever you ask them to do. Stand up, they'd sit down. Sit down, they'd stand up. They, that's being oppositional and defiant. One of the ways that you can kind of overcome that is that, and, and you start to reshape a behavior is we, is we say, I need you to come over here and eat this plate full of Snickers. I say that because that was my dream. Uh, or brownies or cookies or something like that. You need you to come and eat this plate of cookies. Well, their first inclination is to say, no, I don't like cookies. But then they think for a split second, they go, you know, I really do like cookies. So, and that's a quandary that you put that person in. Do I take the cookies or do I satisfy my need to do my own thing? I'll tell you what they always do. They go, no. And then they kind of sneak over there and get a cookie. I think we do that sometimes too. The problem with oppositional defiant disorder is that nobody's ever satisfied even when they get what they want. That's why we have ended up with people wanting the most outrageous things like wanting you and me to agree that they're a cat. I don't know if the stories are true about litter boxes in school that people are using. I, I'm hoping that's hyperbole, that it's a, a gross, and I do mean gross, a gross exaggeration of what's going on. But I, I've seen it play out in real life. People wanting certain things, and then they don't like those things. And that's how we get to ridiculous, ridiculous extremes. See, the woman at the well was identified, she identified not as a cat. She identified as a religious person. Her version of a godly person. And Jesus could have rolled with that and maybe found some common ground with her or something. But he didn't. He spoke truth to her. Truth in love. Truth in meanness is never going to accomplish anything. And when, when Jesus presented her with that truth, she was set free. Why? Because she just surrendered to it. She recognized that's truth. And Jesus said in John eight thirty two, he said... You shall know the truth, and it will set you free. Truth, truth and love. 
Truth as grace, not as obeying a bunch of rules. See, if we present it as, as rule, as just another type of law, for one thing, people who, people who make up rules to make things okay, they're also never satisfied because they add rules. The Pharisees were proof of that. And we have a lot of denominations that are proof of that because they were never happy with this set of rules. They start adding rules to it. Truth is grace. God's grace. And that's who we need to be, a people of grace and truth. We are called to be Jesus in the world, preaching freedom. Freedom from bondage. Freedom from the things that weigh us down and hold us back. And then we'll see people like that Samaritan woman set free and teaching others how to be set free. Because he told me everything I ever did. It's my prayer that as we endeavor to be like Jesus, that we really do be like him. Because nobody ever felt condemned. Look at the list of people that were brought to them in situations that were condemnation in and of themselves. But he set them free. And I hope that we're characterized as a people of God that we set people free and not create more bondage for them. Jeff, do you have a word? You can say no if you... (laughs) Last night I woke up about 3 o'clock and write in a newsletter I send out on Mondays about why do people hate freedom? Because our country is being torn torn apart by people who hate freedom, although they're declaring what they want is freedom. Because just as we're so caught up in, in you know into, into slavery and maybe not on the outside but on the inside, and that's why Jesus is setting so many people free. Is that you only be set free not by rules and regulations on the outside trying to contain you, but you're only set free by when you can live the inside out. And so that's and we can and we can't free other people if we're caught up by so many things that's keeping us on a straight and narrow. You know, we're using all these different processes and different things to make sure that we're doing right things and and we have no freedom and we end up like Pharisees and we say we have Moses and the law. We have all these things. We're free. How how can we be slaves? And Jesus is saying Jesus came with grace and 
truth. And that's how we've got to set people free on this 4th of July is start speaking grace with truth to people so they can be set free from the inside rather than all these outside regulations and rules and laws. I mean, both parties are trying to put all these laws to contain people. When the church has the only thing that no other organization has in this, in this world, and that is grace and truth to set people free. That is a good word. He actually brought up when Jesus is arguing with the people at Nazareth, his hometown. They said, what do you mean set free? We're, already, we're children of Abraham. We've never been a slave to anybody. Was that true? No, it wasn't. They've been slaves all kinds of times. Deny the truth. Mm. Y'all stand with me. I'm going to pray and... And we'll be dismissed afterwards. But if you have a need, don't leave here without receiving prayer for that. Jeff, who just spoke, he can pray for you. And Miss Yvonne, Brent here, Pam, myself, just come to us. We can pray for you anywhere. It doesn't have to be up here. And I'm going to ask a blessing on all of us right now. Father, work your message of freedom in us to to see the things that we need to surrender to in order to be set free. That's why you sent Jesus on the cross to pay the penalty for us to set us free from all the things that bind us from pain from the past to bring us literal physical healing in our bodies Father I pray for freedom for people who have those issues pain from the past and and pain in their body right now I pray in Jesus name for healing to come to minds that the peace that only you can give will be will just flood the our persons peace that overwhelms the pain that's in our mind, the things that we think and the things that we've been taught about who we are. I pray for physical healing for bodies, for those knees, that right now in ankles, legs, knees, that the way you've created them to be, that tendons and whatever will, will, connective tissue will move into place and there will be no more pain.
because there's freedom from all that troubles us in Jesus. And I pray for that right now. I pray that during this July 4th, for some people it's a very long weekend. Some people will only be off on Monday or Tuesday. And I pray for protection over all of us as we enjoy time together as family and recognizing the the wonderful gift that we have for being a part of this nation that you've blessed for 250 years and more. As we be the body of Christ in the world, may we preserve it. Bless us as we go from here to be that Jesus everywhere we go. It's in his name we pray. Amen.